Now batting for the Cubs corner, the host, Anthony Pasquale. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Cubs Corner. My name is Anthony Pasquale, and this episode is presented, as always, by our great friends at Coach's Bar and Grill. Coach's is located at 6169 North Northwest Highway. Great food, great time, and as always, food made by the neighborhood for the neighborhood. So if you get a chance, make sure to get into Coach's. They are taking some um, customers inside. They're also available for curbside pickup. But let's get right into this edition where I welcome back a great friend of the show and a great friend of mine, the AL expert, joins us again, Bob Fiorante. Thanks for coming on the show, Robert. Thanks for having me again, and we're really getting into the stretch here of the season, uh, about halfway done, so happy to be here. Yeah, we're about halfway done, but it, it also feels like the season just started a week ago. What's been your take on the season as a whole before we jump into some Cubs-Sox talk? Well, to be honest with you, the baseball season always is an extended season. And it's not going as quickly as I really expected it to. It is flying by, don't get me wrong. Uh, we're already about halfway done. But there's still a lot of time for teams who haven't really gotten it going yet, so that's been the big thing for me. I don't. As we get more into the season, I really don't think it's going to be an asterisk, and that's my one takeaway. I really think it's going to be a legit winner this year. Yeah, I agree with you. I think early on we saw a lot of teams um, you know, coming out of the woodworks being really good. And all of a sudden, those teams are starting to creep a little bit more to, towards 500, and the teams you expected to be good are really good thus far. And we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about the off picture. But as we get into some recaps of the series, Cubs played the Sox over the, this past weekend, and for the majority of the series, not a lot went the Cubs' way. Yeah, no, it, it, it didn't. Um, they were, I'm sure, glad to get a... Uh, one out of those three games because they, they didn't have the lead until I'm pretty sure the fifth or the sixth inning of game three. They didn't have the lead at all in any of the games. So good series for the Sox. Um, Well-played series games, two and three, uh, very close games. And uh, overall, it didn't disappoint like it never does. Yeah, it, it never does disappoint, I think. Um, some some people thought that Friday night's game, and if you guys missed it, um, you're probably a Cubs fan if you're listening to this show, so if you missed it, good for you. Cubs lost 10-2, to I think was the final. Gave up six dingers to the White Sox, and I heard from people I haven't heard from in weeks to tell me about that game. So it, it was definitely tough for a lot of Cubs fans to swallow, tough to watch John Lester get rocked like that. Some people even suspected it was a bit of a passing of the torch moment from one Chicago team to another. I wouldn't quite go that far, but boy, the Sox can hit. Yeah, no, they came into that series scorching hot. So, I mean, we haven't been in that many home runs all year, but 20, I'm pretty sure 27 in seven games, um, something like that, to set an MLB record. They were scorching hot. They kept it up this series. And uh, one of the things, I, I definitely, I don't think it was a passing of the switch because Cubs are in first place, Sox are in third, um, despite obviously very different divisions. That's why, but still. Um, but one of the things Anthony Rizzo said after game two, um, a lot of respect there. He said, uh, this team's fun to watch. It's different than years past. Something like that, I'm paraphrasing. But, um, yeah, a lot of home runs. A lot of different guys, but especially Jose Abreu. Yeah, I was just going to say, 27 homers in seven days. I think 26 came from Abreu's bat against the Cubs. <laughs> I think the final tally was six homers in, in three games. So, yeah, for him, yeah, five, six, something like yeah, that. Yeah, two on yeah, Friday, I, three on Saturday, and an extra one. On Sunday, it was just every time he went up there, he was launching the ball 
Robert hit a couple. Aloy hit one. Grandal. I mean, there was contributions from all over. I think even Mendick clubbed one in the first game. Cubs really struggled on Friday. Lost ten to two. Lester gave up the brunt of the runs there. Saturday was a little bit of a different story. I think they still gave up four homers or three homers, but it felt different. It was a lot closer. Cubs had a chance to get some of those big hits, and they just didn't. And then you Darvish played stopper on Sunday, snapped the so- or snapped the Cubs skid, but also stopped the Sox seven game winning streak, stifling their order for the first time in a while. Cubs won that game by a, a narrow margin. I think two to one was the final on Sunday. Schwarber hit a two-run homer late to put the Cubs in front, and somehow the bullpen didn't squander that one. Yeah, no, and, and an underrated uh, aspect of that series was the last two games, very good pitching uh, pitching duels. Um, you had Hendricks versus uh, Ronaldo Lopez, who didn't go too deep. The real star of that one was Gio Gonzalez for the Sox. Um, great performance and that Sunday. You know Dylan Seath couldn't wait to get out there against his former uh his former club in the Cubs who traded him away, his first start at Wrigley. He pitched very well, but uh, Hugh Darvish was fantastic. Uh, his slider looked like it was, I don't know how to describe it, it was moving a foot on each pitch, and he just kept getting better and didn't hang a lot at all and worked through the seventh. Yeah, I was talking to my dad about Darvish specifically, and he said, I haven't seen a pitch move like that since Kerry Wood in the early 2000s. So that's definitely high praise for Darvish. You mentioned... Uh, the pitcher's duel, Reynaldo Lopez came into that series with a 54 ERA. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and he said the only hits that are going to be happening are in the Cubs' dugout fighting over who gets to bat against that guy. And, he's, and he oh. stifled the Cubs. He stifled the Cubs twice last year, and he did it again this year. For some reason, the Cubs cannot hit that guy. And then Gio Gonzalez came in, who the Cubs struggled with, late last year when he was with Milwaukee, and they couldn't get anything going until late. Yeah, and that was one of the things for me. Gio Gonzalez last year pitched so well against the Cubs, and he he had been the starter um, with Ronaldo out, and I, I wasn't really sure why he didn't get that start, but they basically played it as like two guys starting that game. Um, he We knew he was going to be the first guy out of the bullpen, but Ronaldo Lopez has a very short leash with Sox fans lately. Um, couldn't get out of the first inning in his first start. Then went on the IL for a few weeks. But yeah, he, he looked all right. He looked pretty good. Gave up a couple of runs. But the command hasn't been there for about 16 months, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, but uh, but he made it work a little bit. And here's something I want to get into just before we start talking about the trade deadline, which is about, oh, I don't know, seven days away already. I want to talk about double headers because we've both we being the Cubs and the Sox have both faced the Cardinals since their return from their coronavirus outbreak, playing them in seven game doubleheaders. You guys played one against them because there was a rain out last weekend. We played two against them in three days, five games in three days was the final tally. Um, I mean, the Cardinals are going to have to be doing that all year long, but it's kind of weird watching our teams play just seven innings. What do you think of that rule? It is. Um, I think for the Sox, at least they played. They, that was their first seven inning doubleheader. Um, I, I just think they were acting like it was so late in the entire game. Every at bat seemed to be like, if we don't get a hit here, the game's over. That's partially because the Cardinals scored four in the first inning. But I think it's an advantage for them, um, especially because they're playing so many of them that they can get a setup going. I mean, you get you can get your setup guy in there in the fifth. Someone go, uh, good in the sixth. Like you, they, they're able to set it up better than other teams because they're playing so many. 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what the Marlins do because they have a lot coming up as well. Um, but I, I, I don't like it too much because I feel like it's playing to the Cardinals' advantage at this point. Um, they've been very good in those doubleheaders. Yeah, I was just gonna say they they swept that one and they split both with the Cubs, but especially the the first one. I didn't realize it was a seven-inning doubleheader. I was working over at Ridgemore, and I had the app on my phone, and I saw Cubs gave up a run in the top of the top of the seventh, I think. And I was like, "Oh, that's all right. We still got three innings to get it back. You know, it's just one nothing. A team had to score to win anyway, or two to one, whatever it was." And then, like two minutes later, I'm on the next hole, and I look at my phone. It says Cardinals beat Cubs seven innings. I was like, "Oh yeah, it's just seven innings." The Cubs didn't even have a chance to be swinging like every at-bat matter like it was going to win the game because they only got one inning to do it. So I think in that way it benefits or it could benefit the road team in that situation. Cubs were on the better half of it the second game with a late homer from David Bodie. Um, I think right now because so many different pitchers on that Cardinal staff are well-rested from the 17 days off that they are going to succeed in those doubleheaders for now. But you know, 55 games in 44 days, eventually that's going to turn into a lot of tired arms, and I think it'll come back to bite them. But so far it hasn't, as they stand 9-8 and eight through 17 games. Right, I, I agree with you completely. And, and one more thing about that um, Cubs and Sox series that, I, that I'd like to touch on. That, your, uh, your Cubs team is a first-place team, and just me watching the game, looking at those averages, it's the little guys for the Cubs that have been coming through. Um, you got your Ian Happs, your Jason Kipnis. The big boys' averages are down, so that's scary for other teams. That this, this is a first-place team, and the big bats like Contreras, Rizzo, Baez, they haven't, Bryant haven't really gotten going yet. Yeah, I mean, there's two ways to look at it, right? And I think your way is the way people should be looking at it. Um, and, yeah, like you said, Happ's been our best producer offensively. Rizzo's been really good, too. And then, you know, your Caratini's, your Kipnis, Horner, even David Bodie's put together some strong at-bats. And the the top five, Bryant, Rizzo, Baez, Schwarber, Contreras, all batting well below 250. I think Baez and Bryant are below 200 when we're talking. Bryant's also on the injured list with a, a wrist-slash-ring finger issue. Um, but th- you really haven't seen much power from those guys. The strikeout rates are all in the 30s, aside from Rizzo. And I think Bryant's at 29. You look at all those guys, they're striking out almost 60% of the time when you combine those guys. And they are getting anchored by the bottom of that lineup. So you you got to think eventually that's going to turn, which is that part is the scary part. But in such a short season, maybe it doesn't turn. And, and maybe those guys at the bottom can't keep anchoring it. So... Like I said, there's two ways to look at it, but boy, that would be scary if maybe even one of those guys starts hitting. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing about this short season is that a 10-day IL stint is what, like 16 something like that percent of the season. It's, it's a big chunk to just be out for 10 days. Yeah, it sure is. And he's already missed some games. Uh, he had a an, a sore elbow from I think getting hit by a pitch. They kept him behind from traveling when he had a stomach ache just to be safe with with COVID. And then uh, just a, a day off because he's really been scuffling it in that leadoff spot. You know, 10 more games or 10 more days, which is about 10 more games missed. You know, he'll be looking at at the end of the year playing, I don't know, 35, 40 games. That's hard to put up any type of numbers in just that short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we talk about everything progressing so much faster this year, we're only seven days away from the trade deadline you know, there's not too many teams that look to be clear sellers. We talked about this last time. 
I think the Pirates are probably a clear seller. And the Red Sox have said that they're going to be sellers. You know, the Angels have high hopes. I doubt they're going to be selling. And a lot of these other quote-unquote bad teams aren't so bad right now. Orioles are at 500. Um, the Tigers aren't playing too bad, 11-15. and 15. Marlins are at 500. Giants, Rockies, they're all playing pretty good baseball. So it's hard to think there's going to be a ton of turnover from any teams, really. And the other big aspect of it that I think a lot of people aren't realizing with these owners and teams not making money from, from tickets and, and TV and attendance and all those things, are they going to be able to take on some of these big salaries that a team struggling might be trying to dump? So there's a lot of different factors to look at, but that deadline's quickly approaching. What do you expect? Yeah, those are some good points. Um, I mean, you got your Yankees who are always able to take on a contract, but how about your Tampa Bay Rays? They're very much in the thick of that AL East battle, I think, on top right now. Um, they're going to need some... A bat, maybe. I, a lot of teams, um, like you said, consider themselves in this, and I just don't know where they're going to find it. Like the Sox could use a, an arm, a starter. Um, maybe the Cubs could use a reliever, something like that. And, and like we saw, I think the only big trade right now was the Red Sox to the Phillies. Um, the Phillies picked up Keith Henry and, and Workman, maybe a couple of relievers, because the Phillies have had the worst bullpen in MLB history. Um, but uh, and even the Phillies, they're four or five games under. They clearly still consider themselves um, a playoff team at this point, um, trying to make a push. But I just don't. I think a lot of teams are have needs, and I just don't see them getting the help that they need with so many teams still believing in themselves. Yeah, and the reason that they're believing in themselves is because eight teams instead of five from each division are making the play. Or each uh, league rather are making the playoffs. So, like we said, that's typically 24 teams that are going to be in the hunt in some way shape or form so that's 24 teams looking to add and arguably just six teams that are going to be selling and those six teams might not even think they're sellers this quote-unquote early in the season so I mean there's a lot of things to look at but that brings me to my next question if you're the White Sox and you're looking to make a move make a splash improve your team heading down and probably the toughest division to win in baseball right now with the Twins and Indians off to a red-hot start as well. What are you looking for? Is it a starter, like you said? Yeah, it's definitely part. It's partially a starter. Um, they really have not had any stability with that fourth or really fifth rotation spot. They've been using that fifth spot as a bullpen day um, twice already this year. Uh, they picked up Gio Gonzalez, who's been all right in that fourth spot, about a five-and-a-half, six ERA, I think, before this weekend. Um, but they, they would definitely benefit from another starter or, or a reliever since Aaron Bummer's been down. Uh, he went on the 10-day about 17, 18, 19 days ago and hasn't even started throwing yet, so they could use another reliever. Um, I, I think they're pretty good offensively. They're happy with where they're at. Um, they got a couple platoons going, but, but arms. You can never have enough arms, especially down the stretch. Yeah, and that's especially down the stretch in a, in a shortened season as well. I think the Cubs' biggest need, and I think anybody who has a brain that's been watching any baseball this year knows the Cubs need help in the bullpen. Obviously, like you said, they've had some offensive struggles, especially at the top of the order, but you know, you go and get a bat, who are you taking out of that lineup? Are you really going to take out Javi? Or are you going to take out Rizzo? No. And you're not going to take out a Hap because Hap's been the guy that's been driving the baseball, driving in runs, getting on base. So I think lineup-wise, it's more work itself out. Bullpen-wise, I think they need some help. And I could say the starting rotation, but 
Um, for you Cubs fans listening, you'll probably be listening on Tuesday. Today, Jose Quintana and Tyler Chatwood return from the injured list. Chatwood is going to get the start against the Tigers, and Quintana is going to piggyback him in the bullpen, and they're going to go from there. So that's good news to get both of those guys back to a rotation that needed it. But, you know, like you said, you can really never have enough arms. No, no, absolutely not. Down the stretch, especially teams are playing a lot of games and not a lot of days. Yeah, and I think we'll uh, we'll have a recap of the trade deadline episode for you guys coming out next Tuesday. But before we talk about any more in the future, I want to talk about something that happened last week. A former Sox prospect that I have to rub in, <laughs> rub in your face a little bit, Fernando Tatis Jr. lit up social media, the baseball world, everybody talking about it because in a, a game that was arguably already at hand, Tatis swung at a 3-0 pitch with the bases loaded and launched a grand slam. A lot of old school people and, and you know baseball purists um, didn't like it. Thought that was a little bit showboaty, perhaps. I don't really know what the big issue is. I just want your take on the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Not one ounce of me has a problem with that. It's <laughs> um, a seven-run lead. The Phillies, a couple days after that, blew a seven-run lead in the ninth or the seventh. I think it was double headers for the seventh. Um, in the last inning of the game, they blew a seven-run lead. Seven-run lead is uh, it's, it's not that that far away, especially if your bullpen isn't, isn't um, airtight. Um, I had no problem with it. I think the biggest problem that the Phillies manager had with it, because he used to work with the Rangers, I think that was the problem. Um, he thought it would be disrespectful. I mean, you had the president sitting behind, or the GM. Somebody was sitting behind the dugout and had a talk with Tati Tepter. The guy's excited. He hits a grand slam. He's got to go apologize at the mic. That was the one thing I didn't like about it. I don't. I don't think he should have had to apologize. Um, the game's never over. Don't throw someone a three-zero cookie if you don't want them to hit it out. Yeah, I think as a pitcher, you can't get that complacent in thinking that this guy isn't going to swing. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I got no problems with it. I think it should have been one of those. I'd like to take this time to apologize to absolutely nobody type of deals. I mean, who does he have to say sorry for? He just he just launched. He hit a home run. That's the name of the game. You know, that's what you're trying to do, and the pitcher's trying to get you out. I mean, and I think it, it's grow up. That's that's my right. response to, to a lot of people that are upset about that. I think he's going to keep lighting it up, and as I predicted on this show, he's going to be in the MVP hunt. And I don't think that pr- prediction of him being an MVP hunt or the Padres making the playoffs looks too shabby right now. No, it's looking good. And the other thing about that is people want more excitement in baseball. And that's excitement. And you're getting it. But, yeah, the Padres have, uh, have been on a little roll. They made it into the power rankings this week. Um, they're definitely solidifying their spot into at least second in that division, in my opinion. So they're looking good. And your MVP pick is really looking good there. Yeah, and speaking of playoffs, let's get into a little playoff picture talk. We'll start in the AL, which is your expertise in the AL Central. Right now it looks like the Twins, the Yankees, and the A's would be winning their divisions respectively, with the Yankees just a half-game lead over the Rays in the East. Second-place winners would be Indians, the Rays, and the Astros, unfortunately. And then you look at the wild cards would be the White Sox, who have a better record than the second place Astros might I mention in third so they'll be getting a wild card and then believe it or not the last wild card spot in the AL if the season ended today are the Blue Jays who sit at 14 and 13 currently 
So what's your take on the landscape of the AL? Who do you think stays? Who do you think goes? Yeah, that's, that's one of the things um, I was trying to make a point during the in the beginning here. Um, it's most of the teams you'd expect um, so far that, that are up to the Orioles and the Tigers. They've kind of backed off. Um, so it, it, it's looking to much, pretty much what we expected. One of the things that bothers me a little bit is those top, the second-place spots automatically get four, five, and six. It doesn't matter that if one of the wild-card teams is better than one of the second-place teams, they're still seven and eight versus four, five, and six. Like you said, the Sox would be ahead of the Astros, but they'd still be a seven seed in the current um, standings here. But I, I'm loving this 18 playoff picture in the American League. I think the Athletics could easily put up a fight against the Yankees. I think the Rays could put up a fight against the Yankees. But um, the biggest thing for me that stood out so far is that coming in first in your division is going to be a huge deal. Uh, if you look at even the AL East, if, they, if the Yankees come in first, they play the Blue Jays. If they come in second, they play an Astros. There's someone that, that's pretty good. So you really want to come in first. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And, you know, I, you also look at these standings. I mean, as the rest of it rolls out, I don't see a ton changing. We're about 30 games through the season. I think the Rays are the only team that have played exactly 30. Maybe the Mariners also. A lot of teams around 28, 29, 30 games. Um, You know, I don't see the Twins, Indians, or White Sox getting caught by the Tigers or Royals. I see the Yankees and Rays duking it out in the East, and I see the A's and Astros running away in the West. Um, I think the only thing that's really going to be up for grabs is that eight spot, and I think, you know, it could be the Blue Jays, maybe the Orioles who are still hanging around. I wouldn't be surprised if the Rangers or Angels potentially get hot, but I think one through seven is almost a lock to make it. The order might be different, but I think I like those teams in the AL. Yeah, absolutely. One through seven's looking pretty good right now. They're looking like the best team, the seven best teams in the American League, no doubt about it. But I would, yeah, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if that order changes very quickly or toward the end, and that'd be a big deal. Yeah, and as we take a look, switching gears into the National League, there's a little bit more uh, jumbulation in the National League. You know, you got your Cubs at 17 and 10, Braves at 16 and 2, and Dodgers at 22 and 8, leading their respective divisions. Those are my three division picks early. I think those three will stick as we head down the stretch of the season. In second place, Padres, Marlins, and Cardinals currently. And I think there's a good chance those teams stay where they are. And that third wild card spot, or that third spot in any division, would be. I'm trying to figure out the, the percentages here looking at the standings. It looks like right now it would be the Giants at 14 and 16 and then the Mets at 12 and 14 be the two wild cards. So a little bit weaker wild cards than what's coming out of the AL right now. But, you know, you look at that Eastern division, I could see the Mets, I could see the Phillies or potentially even the Nationals really turning it on down the stretch. And then in the NL Central, you can expect – the Reds to get hot potentially. The Brewers always play a strong second half. So who knows how the NL could change, but I think the top three will stay the same. Yeah, no, and that's definitely one of the reasons the Phillies went out and got that bullpen out because they have the talent to at least come in second place and be a playoff team in that division. They probably looked ahead and they said, we're better than the Marlins. Um, so they just needed some extra help to give them a push. Um, what are they like? Uh, they're probably three or four games under right now. Which uh, team, the so- Phillies? Yeah, the Phillies. 10 and 14 in fifth place, but only a half a game behind the fourth place. 
in a full game behind third place. Yeah, so I mean, they still see themselves. And, and the other thing is, you're only playing your division and the other division. So you have a lot of division games to try to make up some right. ground. Um, so I think that Philly team sees themselves as a, as a potential playoff team. Um, but other than that, I think no matter what the eight teams are, it's going to be the Dodgers, the Braves, the Cubs, and maybe the Cardinals. And let's see how they play. But I think those would be the top four um, into that divisional series. And as, it would be an upset Unless it's maybe the Padres, but other than that, it'd be an upset to see anyone else in there. Yeah, I think I agree with you there. It seems like we're in agreement. It's it'll be fun to watch the rest of this thing go down. But um, you know, both these teams, Cubs and Sox, have uh, a fun couple of weeks ahead, couple of months, I should say, as this season wraps up. And I think I'm with you in saying that I don't think you can put an asterisk on this bad boy. No, no, it's it's pretty uh, pretty much what we expected. Um, at this point in the season for playoff teams. So I think it's going to be a battle till the end, and I think it's what we expected. So let's no asterisk. Let's play it out. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Bob. Thanks for having me. Always great. Anytime. We'll have you back on next week to talk trade deadline. Man, it feels weird to say that, but for now that'll put a wrap on this edition of the Cubs Corner. Thank you all for listening. As always, you can catch this episode past and future episodes on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and the Cubs HQ website. But for now, thank you all for coming to the Cubs Corner.